good evening, everybody. I'm glad you came. I hope you'll find this evening worthwhile. I just want to make a comment. Illinois Mycological Association has been around since the early 1970s. I want to say 1973. Does that sound right to you, Greg? I thought it might even be a little earlier than that, but I, I could be wrong. So if, I didn't come until 85, so it was going great guns by the time I got to Chicago. Uh, it's on the website. I'll check. Well, Patrick. I, mean, I just remember my, my recollection, uh, the story I've always heard, it was it began in somebody's living room in Hyde Park. And those people, I don't even think Nina Johnson or uh, Elizabeth Farwell were there at the beginning, were they? No, they came a little bit later. Sorry, people, you're going to get name dropped of people that have been part of this club for a very long time, but you're probably largely not aware of because of the way things evolve. It went 50 years, we're doing fabulous. It's 1973. 1973. Okay, so we have two years to plan a celebration of sorts. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and I didn't, and I think Pat, Greg and I jumped in around the same time. Greg earlier than me, but not a whole lot much earlier than me, I think. Um, so Stephanie, you get to start things off. Thank you very much for uh, putting together this program, Kathy, and inviting us all to tell us a little, tell everyone a little bit about how we got into mushrooming, perhaps how we found the Illinois Mycological Association, and why we're still here. I have a little bit of a roundabout story on how I encountered mushrooming for the first time. And it became, it started with my parents, and I kind of noted that they are online here this evening, so they can correct me if I tell any part of the story wrong. But I was living in San Diego at the time, and my parents were here in the Chicagoland area. And my parents are both from France, and as children, had mushroomed. And when they came to the United States, this was just something that had dropped off of their radar and they hadn't really considered. My mom had found an advertisement in the paper for um, a morel hunt or something and met up with people from the Illinois Mycological Association and joined the club and just became enamored with going out on forays, collecting mushrooms, mostly, you know, the gourmet edible ones for the, for the pot. And it became a passion for her and my father. I was living in California and we'd talk on the phone and my mom would be like, yeah, we went on this wonderful foray. And I said, yeah, sure, mom. Great mushrooms. How exciting. Glad you had fun. And that was a little bit the end of it. Well, I was moving uh, back to Chicago and my mom came out to help me pack up the house, sell the house and all that kind of stuff. And during the evening times, we would try to go out and do something together and enjoy ourselves and looked up in the San Diego reader, whatever events might be going on. And lo and behold, there was the San Diego Mycological Society. So I said, Hey mom, what do you think? And she said, sure, that would be wonderful. Let's go. So in my sort of humoring way to entertain my mom said, let's go. So we went to an open meeting of the club. 
And at that meeting, Tom Volk was the guest speaker. Oh, wow. So certainly that name is familiar to some, if not all of you who are on the line this evening. And he gave a tremendous presentation. And it was a little bit of an intro to the wonderful world of fungi type presentation. And just enough science to kind of hook me and just enough of excitement and treasure hunt. So, well, there might be something to this. Turned out the San Diego Club had a foray that uh, coming weekend and said to my mom, do you want to go? She said, sure. So we went up. It was a joint foray between the LA Mushroom Club and the San Diego Club. We sort of met in the middle. The Angeles National Forest, if I recall. And it was chanterelle season. Now, I don't know if any of you have had an opportunity to see California chanterelles. Now, I know Patrick's on the line, other people on the line here who, you know, found and described and published the, <laughs> the Chicago chanterelle. Put it back up on the uh, screen, Patrick, so people could see the little tiny chanterelle. That's a shrimp compared to what we found in California. Let me tell you, giants. You don't even see them in the forest. You have to look in the leaf duff for a little bit of the bump in the leaf duff. And there is the golden treasure. And that was it. I was hooked. There was really no turning back from that one magical foray. Needless to say, moved back to Chicago. And when I did, almost immediately joined the club here and met the wonderful people and became involved. And that must have been around... Kathy, you're going to have to help me out. 2006, maybe? Something like that? Um, that could well be, because we met at Henry, well, we met at the Illinois State Morel Championship. Oh, you came wow. with your parents. It okay. was the first time I remember meeting you. I don't remember meeting you that time. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> you're forever in my heart and like you know, in my brain now, so no worries. But I don't remember that first time. But the friendships that I've made, the fun that I've had, I mean, my friendship alone with Kathy Lambrecht is priceless to me. We've discovered other wonderful things that we have in common, but particularly our love for the culinary preparation of mushrooms. And, you know, continue on with the club for the people, for the education, uh, you know, it ebbs, it flows. Sometimes there's more time to participate and contribute than other times in my schedule, but all in all, it's worth it. And one of the most treasured aspects of my life. Life-changing experience for you? Absolutely. <laughs> We like people to be happy, don't we? <laughs> we go on to our club scientist, Patrick Leacock. Oh, he was trying to find his more chanterelles, that's all. I get it. Sorry, I thought Greg was going to be next. Oh, no. Is, is that okay? or? I don't care. Okay, I'm, go. Why don't, Greg, you want to go first? Because Greg brought me to Chicago, so... Oh, okay. So that's Maybe the uh, Greg can tell his first. 
Hi. Yes, and and with my the greatest thing I did, which was bring Patrick to Chicago. Um, so I guess I don't know if I got hooked earlier or not. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Greg Mueller. I'm at uh, Chicago Botanic Garden. Anyway, um, I grew up in a family with uh, five boys. I was the perfect middle child. Um, and with five boys, what do you do for a holiday and whatever else? We went camping. So, you know, from early on, uh, we were out in the woods doing that type of thing. And I fell in love. I wanted to be a forest ranger, the guy that did the, uh, you know, the campfire programs, because uh, I thought that was the coolest thing. I loved going to campfire programs and hearing that. Um, but I also was playing some instruments or whatever. So when I went to college, I was actually started out as a music ed major. Um, which is about as far away from what I'm doing now as I could be, uh, and realized after two years that maybe I was a better voyeur than an actual teacher or a performer. And so my second love was going to be back to my you know, forest ranger thing. I was going to go be a forester. Um, so I went down to um, SAU Carbondale, met my beautiful wife. And, um, and while there, well, I guess I should back up. Because as a music ed major, I hadn't had any science, any math, so went for um, and got my um, um, associate's degree at the local community college because um, I had to do that. And there I took a botany class and that hooked me on botany. So when I went down to Southern Illinois Carbondale, I was already a botany major. I realized I didn't want to do that foresty stuff. I want to be a botanist. And Betty got a job in Dr. Walter Sundberg's lab, who was the mycologist there. And she said, you got to meet this guy. And so I did. And we took his class and the rest is history. And I realized that, you know, you can't really get excited about something if you don't know it exists. Uh, so he really opened our eyes to the wonderful world of fungi. And, you know, what excited me was, couple things. One, they're so important, but secondly, we know so little bit about, about them. So when I decided to go to graduate school, I said, okay, I want to have something that can do field work, but also lab work. Um, and I wanted to be, it had to be something botanical or mycological. Um, animals, you know, they're, they're okay. If you, if you stumble across a bird and you look at it, it's fine, but to actually work to find a bird, forget that. Um, oh, Patrick was gone. He didn't hear that one. Um, but anyway, so um, took the mycology class, really got excited about that. Um, and that, that hooked me. Um, so then I went on, got my master's at Southern Illinois, PhD at University of Tennessee. Um, it was cool because while we, for my PhD, I was working on Lacaria. Those of you that know me know I've been working on Lacaria for a long time, uh, off and on. And we were out west because we did a three-month um, tour through the western U.S., starting Colorado, went up to Idaho, into British Columbia, down into Washington State, into um, um, uh, Oregon, and then back. And waiting for me was... For the young people, we used to get these things called mail. It came in an envelope and you'd open them up. And so I had this stack. I was gone for three months. Right? So I had a stack of like mail this high. And going through that was an invitation from uh, Professor Niels Fries in Uppsala, Sweden. And Niels Fries is the great, great 
grandson? Uh, nephew, grand nephew. Great. No, grand nephew would be great grandson like of Elias Magnus Fries, who is the father of modern mycology. Of he's the one that really started the classification of fungi. So he invited me to come out to Sweden because he was a plant physiologist and he knew how to germinate the spores of lacaria, but he couldn't identify any of them. So he said, "Hey, we can be a." pair made in heaven and so went out and spent seven months in um, eight months in sweden came back got another postdoc out in seattle washington um, at the university of uh, of washington with joe Murati. and while i was there i met this woman named liz farwell Um, because liz farwell came through and i don't know how we first met her i don't i don't don't really remember what the first connection was, but she came out on a field trip out to Seattle and whatever else I met her. And um, so she let me know there was going to be this job opening up at Field Museum. And so that summer I was out. So just the way I usually work, right? So when I was in Tennessee, I did all my field work in Western US. When I was in Washington State, I came to the Midwest to do my field work. So that made sense. But anyway, we passed through Chicago to kind of check it out because Betty had never been to Chicago and had to make sure that she was interested in this and got the job at Field Museum. Uh, One of the things I wanted to do was really get to know the fungi of the region and whatever else. So started this initiative called SNF, the Survey of Northern Illinois Fungi. Um, I thought it was a cute name. Other people didn't really care for it. Um, and so I had hired um, a series of, of um, postdocs to work on it. Jack Murphy was the first one. And then Sabine Hundorf worked on that for a while. And then we really hit the jackpot and I hired Pat Leacock. Um, and so that's what brought Patrick into town to work on that. And he's been working ever since on the, the fungi of uh, the Chicago region. Um, and so that's, I guess, we're all in. So then I was at Field Museum for 23 years and moved to the garden uh, 11 years ago and still continue to be enamored by, by fungi, what they do, how gorgeous they are, how interesting they are, and how little bit we still know. So that's my story. Oh no, it's incomplete. You didn't tell about the postman. Oh, yeah. Well, this this is only because he's mentioned this years ago, and I was rather amused by the whole situation. Well, yeah, this is one of these aggravating, not aggravating, but, you know, don't cry. No one's allowed to cry on this one. So when I was growing up, we had this big elm in the front tree that died and cut down. And um, every year then in the spring, these funny spongy things popped up from the where the elm tree was and my mother said don't touch don't touch and the mailman asked if he could take them and i said sure get rid of them get rid of them the year i knew what they were they never popped up so i never ate one of those morels i know sad story and the worst part is my dad said he used to morel when he was a kid but i guess he didn't feel comfortable enough to say for sure that's what it was. So so we had like five or six years of morels that we never enjoyed. <laughs> I love the irony. Yeah. I love it. Thank you, Greg. Sure. So now we'll go in the order that Patrick suggested with Patrick next. And after that, 
um, just so you're ready for the call, uh, we'll talk. So Patrick, I'm going to give you the spotlight. Uh, my story starts when I was 14. Um, my connection with nature starts when I was 14. But um, my folks had, uh, we had a lake place up. Um, I grew up in Minnesota. <clears throat> my folks had a cabin on a lake up in uh, north of the Twin Cities, like a lot of Minnesotans do. They have a place to go for the summer. Um, and we had a log cabin that my dad and older brothers put together from a kit. I was too young to help out. But um, I remember walking around those trails there and seeing the cranberries and all the little plants because we had a little bog and all the trees. But I don't remember ever seeing a mushroom. I mean, they must have been there, but they were not, they were not visible to me like a lot of people. Um, if you don't have a name or somebody doesn't show you something, you tend not to see it. Just like people, um, people that don't know the trees don't realize there's different kinds of trees out there. They're, they all look the same. Anyway, when I was 14, our family, the summer trip that year was to go out to Estes Park um, in the Rockies for a week-long nature camp with the, I think it was the National Wildlife Federation. It was for families and with kids and stuff. So we had all sorts of little field trips and activities connected to nature. One of the best ones was called Nature Creep, where we just, for an hour, we just laid on our bellies and looked at all the little tiny plants and moss and lichens right on the meadow by the cabins. But um, one morning there was a bird walk and I went on that and that's when I got hooked bird watching. So I became a bird man locally um, and in high school and everything. Um, and then I was, I worked my way up through the Audubon chapter, Minneapolis, doing field trips and, and little educational stuff. And then I ended up on the board and treasurer and president, all that stuff. Um, but uh, one of the field trips I led was up to um, the Itasca Biological Station. And um, it was in the spring. So you might know where this is heading, but we were in, it was in the spring. We're out on the trail. I'm out with um, uh, Margaret and um, we have our binoculars and we're looking at an oven bird on the ground and the oven bird is hopping along the ground and it goes by some things that um, oddly shaped and those were morels. So we collected a bunch of morels and um, brought them back to uh, where we were lodging and uh, Margaret said uh, we were driving back Sunday. It was a week, a weekend for you. She was driving back Sunday and, and offered anybody that wants to stop in my place, we can fry these up. And I was the only one that volunteered. So we cooked them up probably with eggs or something and they were good. And then she told me about the Minnesota Mycological Society. So I started going to those meetings. And when I was an undergrad um, before that, in college at the University of Minnesota, I had a lot of, I had a major in biology. So I took a lot of science classes. And one of the classes that um, was taught was Minnesota plant life. And we had a great instructor. Um, he, he, he knew all the plants. He, you could take him, he took us out in the woods and stuff and he knew every plant, whether it was a seedling or, a, you know, mature or whatever. But um, 
we covered different kinds of stuff. So one week we did lichens, two days, two labs were on lichens. And the next week, two labs were on uh, mushrooms. And um, those are really cool. We had a week on mosses. Those are really cool. But the week on, um, this is all dried stuff pretty much. And the week on mushrooms, we had dried up polypores and we had a few mushrooms that were pickled in jars, kind of falling apart, looking like ghosts, like a deadly ammonite. They don't preserve well in liquid. Um, but I got to learn a lot of the regular polypore names. So um, when I joined the Minnesota club, the polypores on the back, the ID group was on the back table and those people were ignoring all the polypores. And I was like, oh, I know what half of these are. So I joined the ID group right away and started identifying stuff for the Minnesota Mycological Society. And then again, I worked through, you know, field trips and you know, on the board and all that stuff and um, president, whatever. But, I, you know, the field trips and ID were the best part. Um, somewhere along the line, 1988, we had a nomophore in Minnesota. I didn't know what a nomophore was, um, but our club was organizing it up northeast Minnesota at Isabella. So um, they said, well, you're good at ID and all that. You can be recorder. So I was in charge of writing down all the names um, in a little, um, very old little, it, I have, there's a picture somewhere, I should find it again. There's a really old little Mac box that I was working on computer, um, typing in the names. Um, and um, they, also, they also asked me to do the t-shirt for the foray. And so I entered the um, t-shirt contest and um, Gary Linkoff was the judge of the t-shirt contest, and there were two categories, the pictorial and the, the documentary. And I won the docu documentary category, and I got a um, Yellow Chanterelle Award here, carved by one of our members, Lee Mugley, who was a great member. Uh, he's passed away now, but um, he, he led a lot of the forays up north. So um, then somewhere along the, this is in the late 80s somewhere, I... Um, also, up at Itascus Biological Station, again, the alumni group asked me to do a bird walk up there for their alumni weekend up at Itasca. It was like October, and um, there aren't that many birds in October, but um, I needed to ride up with somebody, so I carpooled with David McLaughlin, who happened to be my advisor when I was an undergrad for my bachelor's. But at that time, all I did was I went to his office and he signed the paperwork, you know, I didn't really talk to him much. But um, riding up with him, I got to talking and then up at the weekend, um, because I knew mushrooms and stuff, I was helping him with his mushroom walks, because it was kind of more fun than the, the uh, bird walk with not so many birds. So anyway, that led to me doing a little research project with a little bit of funding from the Nature Conservancy to um, do a couple surveys out at a nature preserve near Twin Cities. And then further talking, I uh, started grad school with David and um, I, my master's was on the genus Lactarius in Minnesota. So I went to all over, mostly Northern Minnesota, um, collecting lactarius mushrooms and other stuff and documenting all the species in, in Minnesota. And then my thesis was on the, the species with colored latex, which are fun. 
um, lactarius indigo, lactarius delosiosis group and all that. Um, and then my doctorate, I went on for a doctorate and that was on the ectomycorrhizal fungi, um, like, you know, quartz and russulas and trichelomas and all those things, lactarius, um, with old growth forest up in Northern Minnesota. And we are comparing, this was a plot study where we compared old growth uh, forest with mature forest of both uh, pine forest and mixed northern hardwood conifer. Um, and northern Minnesota is gorgeous and lots of tons of mushrooms up there. Um, and then when I was finishing that, it was like, well, where am I going to go for a postdoc? And I had um, one offer in uh, East, which didn't work out. And then um, I was wondering what was going to go on. And then Greg contacted me. Um, and I went out for an interview there at the Field Museum, and he hired me. Uh, so it was, that was a very easy interview. I had met Greg before at a um, when he was working on this big book on methods for documenting fungi. So then I worked at the Field Museum um, with plot studies of under different uh, different kinds of topics like nitrogen deposition and rapid inventory and um, Forget the other ones, but we had several different um, projects, both all mostly based on plot, um, plot-based research around the Chicago area. And of course, I got involved with the Illinois Mycological Association um, when I got over here. So, um, so I was at the Field Museum uh, for about 14, 15 or so years. Um, and toward the end of that, Greg moved from the Field Museum to the Botanic Garden. And I moved from the Field Museum to doing, um, I did uh, survey work for five years for the McHenry Conservation District, which is McHenry County is um, just uh, northwest of Cook County up there. And that was the longest they had any uh, scientists do survey work is usually two, um, maybe one or two years they did survey work. But they liked the work I was doing and it was interesting. So, and I also explained, you can't, you can't record all the fungi in one year, like you can birds or plants or something. So I was doing that for five years. And then um, along the line, um, I replaced somebody at the um, School of the Art Institute of Chicago teaching um, mushrooms class. It's called Mushrooms, Molds and Medicines. So I've been doing that for several years and also teaching botany. So I have two different courses I teach at the school. And, um, and as ever, I'm working with the Illinois Club with field trips and educational stuff and meetings and all that stuff. But one of the things that Greg got me started on, which I don't think I had a decision in, was the NAMA voucher program. Because it started before, I guess it was part of my job. Was it part of my job, Greg? Or was it like an add-on? Um, I can't remember if we did it first. So the NAMA voucher program started, I was having dinner with Eileen Stanley, if any of you know Eileen from NAMA, and we said, this is silly. We got these big forays and we just toss all the fungi away. Don't get any records of this, don't anything else. So we said, we do this. And I probably said, hey, I've got this guy that can help really do this and said, Patrick, uh, let's do this. Uh, let's do the voucher program. So, yeah. I forgot to change hats during my um, field research talk, but um, 
The uh, yeah, so the NAMA program was started um, by the year before the year before I got there by Jack. He did the first one. I think it was Colorado, and then um, the next year was because we had the discussion in Bemidji. Oh, okay. That's where the decision was in. I think it was Bemidji. Anyway, it was Minnesota. Yeah, Bemidji um, would have been. Yeah. And so that's when the decision was. So the next year would have been maybe the Colorado Forest. So that's when we started it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that started 97 and I started with it in 98. And I was doing it for about 15 or so years and decided somebody else can take this over. And it took me about five or six years to find a suitable replacement. And that is um, Andy uh, um, Wilson. Wilson. I know so another one of my people that I convinced to, you know, somehow another. Yeah. So Andy was a postdoc with uh, Greg on and off um, with some other projects. But Andy Wilson, um, he was a postdoc with Greg. He, he I replaced him at the school of the Art Institute. And then um, Andy is now out at the Denver Botanic Garden. And he took over um, after three years of training with the NAMA voucher program and ran it this year out in Colorado. So I'm stepping down. Um, I'm gonna be more like an advisor or a helper and not running the thing. But um, I don't know, I think that's it. Oh, and then a um, little side note, um, there was with um, DNA work, there's a lot of research on all sorts of mushroom groups and um, there were, uh, so a couple groups of people working on chanterelles and one of them, Matt Fultz with, 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 um, Tom, uh, Tom Volk in Wisconsin found three, three new species of chanterelles in the same park in the same woods, which was, I don't think anybody else has done that may, except maybe, um, David Lewis has a bunch of new species in his property, but three new chanterelles from the same woods. And so Greg and I were keeping an eye on that because we knew we had a chanterelle that was not, you know, Siberius because people had decided we didn't have the real chanterelle Siberius. So when um, Greg went to the meeting and I later saw the photos of Matt's species, it's like our chanterelle is not one of those. So Greg decided we better get on the ball and um, Greg put together a team uh, people from the Field Museum and the Chicago Botanic Garden with two of his students and with Andy um, to supervise the molecular work. And um, we sequenced uh, 20, about 20 um, chanterelle collections and about half of them turned out to be our new um, Chicago chanterelle, Cantharella chicagoensis. This is a generic chanterelle. Um, but um, yeah, so that's our um, mushroom of fame for Chicago. But um, so the main things I'm doing now is work teaching at the school and um, helping out the IMA and um, growing plants. My new obsession is succulents, which is taking a lot of time. But um, the forays, if you haven't been on a club foray, do go because... Uh, we'd always find neat stuff. Our last Saturday, oh, the, sa the previous Saturday, we went to Potawatomi and found a ton of stuff and a bunch of stuff I couldn't identify. Um, but we got a, a bunch of rare things also, and those will be in the, the um, species list report next, the next newsletter sometime. 
Patrick, when you can't identify something, is that like a win for you? Like, ooh, some new challenge? Uh, it's a mixed bag because there's just, um, after collecting in Chicago since 97, that's, um, I don't know how many years that is. 24. 24 years. We have so many unknowns that are not identified that it's just, um, it's overwhelming. Um, so, but I am not able to save, if I can't save a specimen and do it justice with a photo and a description and stuff, I don't save everything. I save, um, stuff that I can get a name on or stuff that's definitely could be identified later. Um, but a lot of these little mushrooms, they're just not, um, the material might not be good enough to, you know, work it up later. Before we go on, Patrick oh, yeah. did mention one of his uh, major contributions to the area is his Michael Guide, his website. If you haven't looked at michaelguide.com or .org, which is it, Patrick? Dot .com. Dot .com. Do. It is uh, really going to be the compendium of uh, regional fungi. There's keys and maps and all kind of great stuff. So, um, yeah, there's no keys. But, um, well, I mean, there's pictures. Yeah. So... Uh, the website I use a lot is Michael Close Mushroom Expert.com, and he has excellent keys and a lot of species. So, um, I need to put more time into my website, but I'm, I'm focusing on right now some of the wood rot stuff and polypore stuff. Um, I don't want to duplicate everything on Michael Quo, um, so I'm going to do the non guild mushrooms mostly first. And I'm doing it a different way where it's structured by, you know, family and, and um, genus and species and all that. So the, I put in the chat the link for the, the, the Chantrell page. You can sign it, kind of see what that looks like. Hey, Patrick, it's Stephanie. Yeah. A couple of times you mentioned NAMA. Um, maybe for some of the newer members in the IMA, you could talk a little bit about NAMA, what it is, and sort of an opportunity to broaden and deepen someone's involvement in the wonderful world of mycology. Um, maybe so, say what NAMA, the name means. Yeah, so NAMA, um, the funny thing is there's a NAMA at the University of Minnesota. It's some agricultural thing. But um NAMA is North American Mycological Association. And um, part of my website has um, the history and stuff of, of NAMA. I'll put that link up here too. Um, and um, this, um, the, our NAMA, my NAMA website thing was originally on the Field Museum and they um, took it down. I repurposed it on my website there. So it's sort of a sub, um, subdirectory there. But um, that's got history and species lists from the NAMA forays. But the NAMA is a national group. It um, serves as an umbrella organization all of, for all of the clubs in the continent. Um, and our club is a member. And I think it's Susan who is our trustee. Um, that's right. I am. And another of our members, Brooke Reed, is their executive officer. Right. So Brooke well, is president, I think he's called now, but I'm not sure. He is. Um, so he was the executive secretary and he gave himself a promotion and made himself chief. 
some fancy title uh, because he's mainly um, he's one of the main people running NAMA now. So that's part of the reason he's not here. He's just so wrapped up with NAMA. But um, he would be the person to tell you about NAMA. But um, the main thing that NAMA does is have a national foray each year. And it's in different, different states. So this year it was Colorado. Next year it's in Missouri. Good. Um, it was going to be, it was supposed to be Missouri last year, but there was no foray last year. Um, recently we had it up in Wisconsin, which was really cool. Um, Britt Bunyard and myself and Emily Stone from up northern Wisconsin, the three of us organized that. That was, that was a really good foray. And um, had lots of species. But um, the other thing NAMA does is sometimes they do regional forays. They also have educational material and some stuff on, uh, stuff on their website, and they have different committees. Brooke is uh, doing tremendous work and increased the membership, and he wants to um, get more regional forays going on. So we might have the um, Brett is running a Wisconsin foray every year, and that might um, at least some years be one of the regional forays. So um, the other thing, Greg just posted the um, fungal diversity survey, and that is another project that um, the club could work on, um, which is um, saving voucher specimens and then sending stuff material in to get sequenced. Um, so that you can check that out. Um, any other questions on NAMA? Or maybe we'll get questions later. We'll go on to Nicole. Okay. Would you like to introduce Nicole? Oh, so Nicole, um, I think Greg was aware of Nicole first. I don't remember right. But um, she, um, very interested in mushrooms, and then she be, um, got into grad school this past year. Uh, so we can find out what she's doing now. Yeah, so... I guess uh, to start from the beginning, um, I my um, family would like bring me to Alabama every year and like to go and see the ocean and like go fishing and all of that. And so like from a young age, I was like pretty excited about biology. And like I actually um, like I think I was like six or seven years old. I like got a book about like all the different species names of the fish. And then like I was like memorizing them and like really excited to like remember like their distributions and all of that. So I was like pretty excited about like, I guess, taxonomy from a young age. And although it wasn't mushrooms, it was um, something uh, biological. And uh, from that, I basically have just always been pretty interested in biology. Um, when I joined college, I, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And so I just took like a bunch of classes and, you know, from music to art, to color theory, to biology and um, then one day a friend was just like, Hey, do you want to go mushroom hunting for morels? And I was like, what is that? Are you crazy? Are you going to like try and kill me? <laughs> and like, you know, it, I, I had some of that mycophobia that I think a lot of people have at the start, you know, like you just like, you're not told about it. It's not like an American culture. Um, so you're just unaware and kind of afraid and, we did it and we found some and I ate them and I didn't die. So that was good. <laughs> and so I, I wanted to go back and uh, I guess it's kind of like that effect where like someone points out one thing and then you just start seeing it everywhere and you're just like, 
I want to know all of them now. Like, so I just started taking pictures. I learned about like Mushroom Observer and all of that and was like posting on there to try and learn more about them. And um, then I, I think I learned about the IMA um, and I went to the big mushroom show in 2015. I think that was the first one I attended. I wasn't volunteering. I was attending. I was like oblivious to what was happening and all the behind the scenes prep work and all of that. And I just remember just being completely blown away with the diversity and the huge collection there. It was just, I felt like I was in a biological art gallery. It was just enormously beautiful. And so after that, I was like, okay, I think I know what I want to do. <laughs> and, uh, so from there, I, I, you know, I, I was looking for, you know, more opportunities with um, mushrooms and stuff. And um, I got an internship at the National Science Foundation. And while working there, I um, tried to learn as much about mushrooms as possible. And, um, and then I attended, um, I think it was uh, a NOVA Mycological Society um like event and actually Patrick was like their guest there and so I think that was the first time I met Patrick was actually in Virginia which is kind of funny and um yeah it it was really cool like just living in the DC area and seeing the diversity of mushrooms there and how much different it was than Illinois and so I think that just kind of like you know kindled a fire further and um I think when I was there Patrick mentioned that I should look into volunteering for the field museum and coming to the forays and so um I actually uh, I think that following fall I started uh volunteering at the field museum and doing microscopy with Wyatt Gaswick and working with Patrick as well and so just like be able to see the things in the field and then take them in the laboratory and then seeing them under the microscope. I just, it was again, like it's just a biological art gallery, just all so beautiful and exciting. But um, yeah, from there, I, uh, so I graduated community college and went to a four year and uh, unfortunately that it's just not a lot of schools have mycology classes. And so you're like, I, I need to wait and, you know, find a, a way to, you know, study what I want to study and so that's why I wanted to go to graduate school and so I'm at Ohio State University um, and studying um, like basically within the plant pathology department which is what a lot of mycology programs are housed within and so be looking at uh, plant pathogens like uh, mycological as well as uh, bacterial so yeah. Thank you Nicole and we're, we're, we're thrilled that uh, we were an inspiration for you. So um, are you, did you have anything more to say, Nicole, or were? Oh, yeah, I, I, I guess I just want to say, like, everyone in the IMA has just been such wonderful people in the community has just been like such a like heartwarming family feeling for me every time I've gone to forays. It's just it's a. Uh, I just feel like the mycology community in general, everyone's just so warm and fuzzy and I just really love it. <laughs> and what's also nice about it is an amateur can actually make a contribution. You know, not all scientific disciplines are that kind to uh, amateurs. I'm not talking you as an amateur, but I'm just thinking in general. Yeah, I totally agree with that. 
And when um, Nicole was helping Wyatt and I up at the Field Museum, she did a bunch of microscope work um, with Wyatt. Um, and the two main things, I think the two main things were working on Xylaria and Crepidotus, two kind of groups, um, dead man's finger group, and then the um, what Wyatt and I call the Crapidotus, these little um, oyster-like mushrooms with brown spores that are, um, you need to do microscope work with spores and stuff to figure them out. So she was key for us to identify some of our local uh, species and, and some of the rare ones in that group. Terrific. So, um, if, if, so uh, today when I was sort of looking for things, I found, so in this, the, the culture of mushrooms, what sparked your interest, this picture was once on the, on the front page of the uh, IMA, Illinois Mycological Association website. It was there for a long time. And some of these people might not be known to you, but the, the woman on the left with the glasses is Eileen Shuddy. Um, she was, she learned a lot about mushrooms uh, over the years. She began as a birder who became a mushroomer because she couldn't find the bird she was looking for, but she happened to see the mushrooms. Um, at one point, uh, she was president of, at least president once, maybe twice for the Illinois Mycological Association. Um, the first time when I suggested it to her, uh, kicking and screaming is what it was to get her. She says, I don't know enough about mushrooms. And I said, you don't need to know about muff enough about mushrooms. You just need to be able to help push things along as president. Uh, the man in the middle is uh, John Camosa. Uh, haven't seen him in years, but uh, I had a, a conversation with one of our older you know, members, uh, the Banacheks, who Steve Banachek was once president of IMA in the period of time in the late 80s, early 90s, where the club almost dissolved because nobody wanted to be president. Things like this happen from time to time. But uh, any case, I was talking to them today, and they're still in regular contact with John Kamosa, who I believe is Polish. He's not Czech. I want to make him Czech. I'm not sure, is the guy on the right, is that um, Dominic? I think it's Dominic, but I'm not 100% sure. You could be right sure. about that. I think you're right. Okay, so Dominic was an Italian. Uh, he came here from Italy. He once got terribly excited and at one point wanted to buy oak trees that were inoculated with um, truffle so and have them imported from Italy and grown here. And um, somehow the USDA didn't quite agree with the plan, but he was ready to buy land and make this happen. Um, so these are, you know, some of the people that some of us from another era remember quite fondly. Well, I was just yep. gonna say uh, that Dominic uh, was great because he came to every meeting, listened to all the talks, but when we were in the foray, he'd go around and we'd have a table full of things. But there wasn't a bowl leader. So he said, hey, no fungi today. And so it was because he, you know, but um, even though he'd say that, he'd still come and was in all the talks and asked interesting questions. So he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, he really was. And he had a very nice wife, Maria, who was a very good intuitive cook. 
the problem was he would like something and say, can you do that again? And she goes, I don't know how I did it. Uh, it, it was fun to listen to them argue. Oh, by the way, just one more Dominic thing. I once made his recipe for pickled mushrooms safe for canning. And he really went on a... Somewhere in our newsletter archive is, is his response to my changing of his recipe. But I was trying to make it food safe in case somebody really wanted to can it. And he didn't like that. Um, we got a note from Matt Nielsen. He couldn't join us today. He's returning tomorrow from Ecuador. However, meanwhile, he sent us this picture of some of a uh, lichen that he found down there. And I think it's just stunningly beautiful. I mean, it looks, it looks like jewelry or something artistic. So that was very kind of him. So... I'll tell you how I came to mushrooms. I, my awareness of mushrooms, I think was about nine, 10 years old. When I was about nine or 10 years old, we had just moved back to Chicago and we were between homes. So sometimes I was living with my Irish grandmother. Sometimes I was living with my German grandmother. My Irish grandmother was the one who would buy the green giant mushrooms and put them into her gravy. And I would show up as, uh, and basically cull all the mushrooms and put them on my plate and eat them because I thought they just were so tasty. And every once in a while, I'd go buy a jar and throw some into gravy just to remember the moment. But my German grandmother would buy the fresh mushrooms. And just the contrast of the two, you know, I, I just had no exposure to that prior to that. So when I was about 18 years old, I was 18 years old. My dad, uh, we went on a trip to Europe and I bought this book, The Mushroom Feast from Jane Grixon and read it from page to page. I mean, you know, from beginning to end and just, you know, was always searching for that opportunity. Well, there you got a babushka there in Russia. And I spent enough time in Russia where I got to be quite familiar with these these, these situations, these large bowl leaves. And then you'd ask them how to cook it. Oh my God, boil it, throw away the water, boil it again, throw away the water. But it was like at the point of why bother? You know, there's no flavor if there was any flavor, but there was also, I was very limited on where I could go within the Soviet Union and everybody knew that. So everybody happily told me where they where their mushroom spots were because I couldn't go there. It was like safe. Uh, it, it was kind of interesting and amazing and annoying at the same time. So we had a, a woman who worked for us here in Chicago, also Russian, who said she knew everything about the Russians, mushrooms, everything. So I went for a weekend trip to Wisconsin and I picked one example of everything I could see. I came home with like about 75, 80 different items. When she came, she worked with both of us and she, we, we had an office at her home. So I had newspapers lined up on the kitchen table and I had all the mushrooms lined up. She looked at everything carefully and picked one and said, that's edible. Everything else you could just throw away, which kind of to me said, 
I don't think she knows that much about mushrooms. But, you know, at the same time, I, I've seen it where a lot of people have this traditional knowledge, limited knowledge, and they will be that one thing that they go after and nothing else. And that's okay. That's fine. So I had an accident, which landed me in the hospital and landed me staying home. At that time, I was in and out of the country uh, working with my dad and I had to stay home. And my mother didn't want me being as home as much as I was. And she sort of knew I had a keen interest in mushrooms because, you know, I like read that book, was doing all this stuff. So she called the Field Museum. I wouldn't call the Field Museum. I was a chicken. She called the Field Museum and found out that there was a meeting and said, I think you need to get out of the house. Please go. So I went to my first IMA meeting and I met Liz Farwell, who took one look at my leg and said, were you in a motorcycle accident? I'm sorry, but that's what I remember about my first encounter with. But also, like, Greg and I were like the youngins in the room. I mean, we were, I, I, I don't know, I'm not asking how old you are, Greg, but I think I'm a couple of years younger than you. But everybody else was like 15 or 20 years older than us. And, and even further further. So we really were like the babies. Like today you come to one of our meetings and there's a lot of young people, a lot of young people. In fact, I was talking to Stephanie earlier tonight about this and she goes, well, when I joined and she was like, what, 15, 16 years ago, she also said it was more older people, not younger people, but you know, things changed. And let's see, over the years, I've been what gone at least through two cycles of being president um, I've gone through at least three, maybe four cycles of de- doing programs. Um, I was never treasurer. I was a disaster as a foray chair. Disaster. That was not my strength at all. And so anyway, I'm, I'm very happy with my association. But one of my other interests, and it's something I think, well, I know Stephanie knows, but is, is food history. And through an organization called Greater Midwest Foodways, um, we sponsor a contest at the Illinois State Fair since 2009. Oh, that that oh, that's a mistake on that slide. It's not 2004; it's 2014. But since then, we've been uh, sponsoring a contest at the Illinois State Fair where people submit um, heirloom recipes. Only one is specific to Mushroom Club. But if you don't mind, I'm going to read you the story that the person submitted because it very much reflects the people that I encountered when I first joined IMA back in the the mid-1980s. As far back as I can remember, these mushrooms were always on my grandmother's holiday tables. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. I often wondered why we didn't hold on, why we didn't have them at every every time we got together at her house. But now after making this coveted recipe one fall weekend in October with my uncle Joe and my sister Cindy, I know why. Labor intensive and low yield. But before I get into that, let me go back to the beginning and give you a little history. My grandmother, Agnes Hollis, came to this country with her sister Marie and their husbands, Anton, 
and Cyril Holus. Yes, two sisters married two brothers. In, 19, in 1898, Agnes was born near Belgrade, which actually became part of Yugoslavia, but she and my grandfather both spoke Czech. Back then, the area was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. My grandmother and grandfather were married when they came to this country in 1920, after the end of World War I. They entered through Ellis Island, and along with Marie and Cyril and many other Czechs, they settled in Berwyn, Illinois. This is a large Czech community where most of the business, speak, business shopkeepers spoke Czech. The couple settled in and started their family, which grew to seven. Bessie, Agnes, Anton, Frank, John, Joseph, and Robert. My grandfather did masonry work, and my grandmother had the tough task of handling the holist brood, which she did with both love and an iron hand. And the five boys, I'm told, was not, her task was not easy. Bobby pretty much made everything from scratch, mostly out of necessity, because there were so many mouths to feed and therefore it was cheaper. She was an excellent cook. And as most cooks in that era did not have a recipe, just picked up ingredients by the handful and threw them in. She canned anything she could, but of all the things she canned, the mushrooms was the most special in the family because it was truly a family affair. Before you could can them, you had to hunt them. So every last child was manned with a bag and oftentimes a stick and set out to the local woods or forest preserve to fill their bags. It was, hard, it was a bit of hard work, but since they were all together, it became a fun family outing that could last for hours, depending on how many mushrooms the boss, mother, wanted. Before the tedious job of cleaning the mushrooms commenced, which almost everyone participated, each mushroom was inspected to make sure it was okay and not poisonous. And her children would ask how she knew they were okay. And she always answered, because I know. That's, that's the famous thing that gets a lot of people into trouble. When I was a little girl, my parents tried a couple of times to take my brother's sister and I out to the local forest preserve on a mushroom hunting expedition, but we didn't even find enough to make a half pint. So my father gave up and left the task to the experts. It was fun, though while it lasted, well, it was fun while it lasted because we were all together hiking through the woods. My uncles, John, Joe, and Bob remained bachelors and eventually moved to a wooded house on a lake in northwestern Wisconsin. And you know what woods means? Mushrooms. Even in her later years, and she lived to be 90, Grandma was still running the mushroom show. My uncles would drive down to Ber Berwyn to pick her up and bring her to the north. They would pick the mushrooms, and she would inspect every last one. Just like when they were little, they all cleaned the mushrooms and put them up together. The word Hobie is Czech for mushroom, and since the mushroom was the object of a hunting tradition and a significant part of the Czech diet, the Hobie Parade was born in Berwyn and Cicero in 1968 until present. It was established to honor the families who settled in this area and continued the time-honored tradition. Now, sadly, my Uncle Joe is the last survivor of the Holist children, 
but he has continued with the tradition of hunting mushrooms and canning them by himself in true grandmother fashion. Last year, I guess he thought it was time we better he better pass the tradition on. So he called my sister Cindy and I in mid-October. Now you have to understand that when he called, he said, you need to come within the next two weeks or the mushrooms will be gone. So they juggled their work schedules and away they went. We drove 400 miles north to Wisconsin and no sooner pulled into the driveway and Uncle Joe opened the doors and shoved bags in our hands and directed us to the next door neighbor's lawn, which was covered with mushrooms. We just stared at him and he said, start picking. So we broke the mushrooms off at the base from the ground and started filling our bags. Of course, me and Cindy asked the million dollar question, Uncle Joe, how do you know they are not poisonous? And of course, we got the million dollar answer because I know. After two hours and many full bags of mushrooms, Uncle Joe deemed the hunting session over. I must say me and Cindy did have fun under the watchful eye of Uncle Joe. Now the real work begins. We all sat down at the newspaper covered table, and began to clean every mushroom by throwing the debris on the floor. I can't even imagine what a mess this was when my dad and uncle were little and there were seven of them plus Bubby plus grandma. This task took us several hours and Uncle Joe inspected each mushroom so quality control was maintained. The clean mushrooms were thrown into a large cast iron pot that was filled with water and placed in the refrigerator overnight. The next day, the mushrooms were rinsed and then placed back in the refrigerator. He did not start cooking them until Sunday afternoon. After all, uh, after all that, we had five pints and two half pints. It took us all weekend, but it was one of the best weekends. I think the mushrooms have an acquired taste. I like them. I don't love them. This past Thanksgiving at my nephew's house, my sister and I proudly put out a pint of our mushrooms and announced to everyone they should try them. My brothers who love the mushrooms and used to fight over them when they were little wouldn't touch them until we finally told them they were Uncle Joe in supervised and approved. Uncle Joe is battling cancer, but so far has survived two and a half years. And we already have a date set for mid-October for another round of mushroom hunting and canning. But this time we're bringing my four-year-old great niece, Carolyn, to get another generation indoctrinated in the tradition. And it's on this trip, I have to learn the answer to the all important question. How do you know they're okay? I need to know. And a lot of the people that I encountered, I don't know if Greg would agree, but were from this tradition, but didn't know what was safe. And especially here, you know, in the United States. And so um, those people that I met in IMA in the beginning, a lot of them were of this, you know, family background where they were mushrooming, but they didn't really know what they had on hand. So is there anybody here that would like to share their story? I do have some final comments, but I'm waiting until um, people maybe want to share what they would like. It's okay. I could say a few words. 
Yes. No. Susan talking. Susan, I see you're unmuted. Do you want to say something? Oh, I guess not. Uh, oh, yes, I just had to, to say unmute. something, Susan. I had to unmute. I can tell you how I got started, and uh, I hope there'll be other plenty of volunteers too. I guess I got interested in nature in the first place when I was, I don't know, six or seven. It was about a mile walk to school, and my father would take us there before going on to his office, myself and my younger brother. And he would point out all of the flowers in the gardens on the way. This was in Brooklyn, New York. And he wasn't, he knew a few trees and he wasn't interested in birds at all. So I got interested in flowers and thing, growing things generally, but I never really got into birds. But still, I did have a general interest in that. I used to go to, to the Botanic Garden in Brooklyn all the time, which if you're ever in Brooklyn, it's a really nice garden. Not enormous, not as big as the but as the garden here in Chicago, but a very nice and a well-designed one. I still support it, even though I don't get to Brooklyn anymore these days. But many years later, and I've never been a gardener, by the way. I like looking at things. I hate working in the garden. So my own garden is a mess. But many years later, my husband and I were in Aspen, Colorado for three weeks. My husband was attending the Physics Institute there. And although I went to a couple of the lectures, there really wasn't that much for me to do. So I looked around for something to do and saw a flyer from Colorado Mountain College, which was offering a three-week course in mushrooms, which coincided with the three weeks we were there. And they offered field trips into the mountains. And since we weren't renting a car, we just had a bicycle there. The, the trips into the mountains was a real inducement. So I took the course. We used the Alexander Smith Field Guide, which was, I think, the only one available. This must have been early 80s. I'm not sure exactly when. And I learned the basics of mushrooms. And I'm ashamed to say that I haven't really learned very much more. I'm still terrible at identifying things. I know I'm morel. I, I know uh, I can usually get, get oyster mushrooms. I know chicken of the woods and hen of the woods. The really obvious ones that it's hard to mistake for anything. And I'm pretty good on chanterelles, except there's another one that looks very much alike that I mix it up with. Not the jack-o'-lantern. It's hygrophorus, something or other, Patrick. Do you know what I'm thinking about? There's something that looks much, very much like a chanterelle. The gills are hygrophoropsis. That's the one. That's the one. But um, as I say, I enjoy eating them. I like the walks in the woods, but I'm not good at identifying them after how many 30 years or so of being in, in mushroom clubs. Anyhow, the forays were very nice. I met some mushrooms I had never seen before, had no idea what that mushrooms could have that variety of appearance, but it was the eating them I was mostly interested in. So when I, we got back to Washington, D.C., where we lived at the time, I looked up the local club, the Mycological Association of Washington, and I went to their regular monthly meetings and on a fair number of their forays. I had a lot more energy in those days. And eventually I got myself uh, doing the newsletter because the person who had been doing it didn't want to do it anymore and worked my way up on the board. I became secretary for many years. So when I moved out here, it was pretty much the same thing. I got myself on the board as secretary and um, took over the newsletter from Cora Thompson, who wasn't interested in doing it anymore. And I've been doing it ever since. And that was about 2002, thereabouts. So it's been 20 years. And I'm, if anybody would like to do the newsletter, I've done it enough. I'm, I'm willing to keep doing it, except that, as you know, all know, I have done a very bad job this year. I did one in February. And then the one last month was the oh, next one I skipped. Months and months of, of doing newsletters. Just didn't have the energy or, 
or interest really in doing it. So please, if anyone would like to work on the newsletter, please let me know or to take it over altogether for that matter. And um, I've been going on forays, not too many because it's a long ride into Chicago from West Chicago. And when it takes an, almost an hour to get to a foray site and they start at nine and I don't usually get up before nine in the first place, then you can see I'm not too enthusiastic about getting up nice and early to hunt for mushrooms. Also, I'm very bad at finding them. When I, when I went on the morel hunts, for example, I would be lucky and I'd see a couple of them in an area and I'd look all around because they often come in clumps. And I just see those two and I'd walk on and somebody walking in my footsteps would get a dozen from the same site, which is very discouraging. It's another reason I suppose I don't go on too many forays. I just don't see them. And uh, I've been active in the group ever since, mostly in administrative stuff and eating. I'm always interested in eating mushrooms. If any of you want to don donate extra findings you have, I'll be happy to take them, uh, provided they're well identified. I am not someone who just knows. And I guess that's about it for me. Any questions? No. No, but quite sincere. I mean, I think everybody sort of tripped into these things, didn't they? I mean, Greg could have been the band master, the band leader at Highland Park High School. I had watched I had watched the music man enough times that that was my dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then I thought of what I'd really be getting to, you know, the little band I'd be getting. So it wasn't as much fun. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, you you know, you don't know your path in life, left turn, right turn type thing. Does anybody else like to make a contribution? All right, then I will do the conclusion. I'm going to oh, share screen, but advance. Oh, darn it. Ah, okay. So, Tony Jandasek is, is this guy with the glasses, and you cannot tell, but he always had a camera around his neck. And so the, the, a lot of a lot of uh, images, pre people having digital cameras and like in the ubiquitous cell phone images. Tony was carrying his camera and took a lot of pictures. In fact, there's one I remember quite vividly of a group of mushrooms that uh, were just in the. In, they pushed a uh, man cover open. It was one of his talks that he did um, some years ago, but he had some really good mushroom images when in an era when people didn't have too many mushroom images, at least, you know, normally. But Tony's life was, Tony is still alive. So it's, I'm, I'm talking in the past tense and I don't mean to, but Tony was born in Prague and his father was a journalist in quite, you know, engaged in, let's say, anti-communist uh, rhetoric for that era. And, and I agree with him, but when, when the Soviets came in and things started to change, his father had to flee immediately because he was on the list of people that they, they wanted to uh, deal with. So Tony, his mother, and uh, one of his siblings I think it was his brother, they were all together 
in 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 the Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia, then and didn't get any communications from him. Then they got a postcard from Chicago with no name on it. So then they, but they recognized the handwriting and, and knew where, where, where their dad was. And there was some communications given to them. They took all their mushrooming gear, got on a train to a border, got off, and then just started collecting mushrooms. And they were stopped by the, by the, by the guards, the Iron Curtain, there wasn't a, any quite of a barrier yet. And they said, what are you doing here? And they said, this is always where we collect mushrooms. And in Czechoslovakia, there's such a strong culture of mushrooming. This was understood. This was one of your um, your your space places. And they just basically walked out of Czechoslovakia into Germany under the guise of collecting mushrooms. And it took a, they, they were like, um, it took a couple of years before they finally reunited with their father. Now the father, as I recall, had a, a deli in uh, Cicero Berwood area. And from what I understood, when people, customers went in there, they basically spoke Czech. This was you know, like, as it was described in that story, you know, this was a community that, it's pretty Czech oriented. And um, years later, um, when his father died, he was found dead along the edge of the road, just having come out of a forest preserve with a basket of mushrooms. Um, he, and, you know, and in fact, Tony's home was backed up to a forest preserve so he could go mushrooming out of his backyard. And he was very, very well known. Uh, he helped promote the Hobie Fest. Um, there was a TV show for some of us of another generation would remember called uh, the Ray Raiders show. And he would get on there to help promote. So he became kind of well known and one of the, the faces of, of, um, of the mushroom community, also the Czech community. In fact, he rarely actually came to our Monday uh, uh first Monday of the month, because he was usually teaching Czech language to people. So we only saw him like at forays and other special events. And he was always very, very supportive and often would show up with a big jar of pickled mushrooms to give samples out to people. Um, and so he's just one of those people that uh, I would say his life was really defined by mushrooms and his poor wife, Carmela did all of the preservation and he would just keep coming home with more. And she, you know, you could just, you could just hear her. I don't know, her eyeballs popping out of her head, like more, I don't need more. And he had methods. Like he had all sorts of like, when it came to things like puff balls, he would slice them. Then he would dip them in um, pasteurized eggs because and then uh, put breadcrumbs on them and then store them in the freezer. Um, and he knew if you use the pasteurized eggs, they would last longer. Whereas the other ones you had to kind of eat your stuff by about three weeks. He had a refrigerator in the garage to keep all of his pickled mushrooms. The man lived mushrooms. He also lived Czech. And uh, in fact, um, I was talking to the Banacheks today 
And they found, uh, if you wish, go on YouTube and put his name, Tony Jantasek, and you can hear him being interviewed um, related to his life. And it comes, the story about leaving Czechoslovakia under the guise of mushrooms is in there. And in fact, in one of the, uh, was it Michael, Michael Vane, the uh, NAMA, in one, one point, one of our members was the, um, um, was the editor. And, and I just said, you got to get Tony to talk about that mushroom centric life of his. And it ended up one of the stories in McIlvain. So anyway, one terrific guy, and I'm sorry if you never met him. And this is a, a picture of him more recently. Um, just a terrific guy. And his brother has a website and I found it today and it looks just like Tony. It's like, unmistakable unmistakable anyway if anybody doesn't have any questions or comments we can conclude there i have a comment sure just that the ima had its winter luncheon at his restaurant oh many years ago now but it was a very interesting location i don't think it was ever his restaurant but he had been there for so many occasions. It felt like he, he ran the place. In fact, I almost, I found a picture. Friends of the, of the uh, Bohemian Cemetery. And there's Tony with one of his dinners. <laughs> it just looked, you just, all you had to do was exchange a few heads and put our heads on them. And it would have looked like an IMA luncheon. Any other comments? Oh, just a piece of information for if people didn't recognize the person standing next to Tony was uh, was Gary Linkoff, in case you know that name from his books and whatever else. Hold on. I'm so sorry. I've No, I love it. This is going to be probably the only talk that had ever been done that we have Tony Janicek with Tony Janicek and Nobody bothered mentioning uh, Gary Linkoff. So that, that's great. <laughs> I thought it was terrific. But in case people want to know, that, that's Gary. Yes, he, he visited us about, what, 25 years ago, something like that? Yeah, and he stayed at my house. I could, I could put a plaque on there. Gary Linkoff slept here. In the mushroom world, that's meaningful. So, you know, following up on Susan's talk, when she said they used uh, Alexander Smith because that was the only book for a while until uh, Gary's book came out, Mushrooms in North America. And that's the book that really transformed field guides with multiple pictures and all that kind of stuff. So uh, anyway, so that was um, one of Gary's many uh, contributions. But, what I bet, but, but remember there was all, but he wasn't allowed to put Latin names in there. And so there were all these sticky sets you could buy to paste into the book to right. really you had to make it date. Yeah, whatever it was, three or 400 species in there, you had to make up uh, a common name for every one of them because the Audubon guides needed that. So, yeah. Yeah, because you see, you know, the, the thin, well, it wasn't a thin book, but it was something like this. But once you put all the stickies in, it was much bigger. Yeah. Well, Jacqueline, Jacqueline has a question. Go ahead. Hi, I, I don't have a question. I just wanted to say I loved hearing the stories, and it certainly brought back to mind how I um, 
became aware of mushrooms as a kid. We started out with the jar of mushrooms like Catherine showed us, but also it was my father who was Slovak, um, who went with his older brothers looking for mushrooms every season around Christmas. It would come back with these gigantic, very curly, very extremely difficult to uh, clean mushrooms, clean mushrooms, but they were, they had to be ground. They were so kind of tough, but the resulting flavor was fabulous. And one of my brothers has carried on the tradition and he will not say where he found those mushrooms, but but, um, um, it's, it's a very, uh, the, some of the stories, especially the woman who spoke about her 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 family and then also Catherine you talking about this gentleman the um the oh, eastern yeah. european tradition is just it's a very cozy wonderful kind of story so thank you i loved hearing those stories and, and i have and it's it's real i mean i've been in that part of the world it's unbelievable i mean we we have we have almost like no competition going into the woods ourselves here but there it's like droves that go into the forests. Um, I, I believe it. I believe it. Well, thank you for, for, for appreciating. I was sort of feeling a little bit going out on a limb with this topic tonight. So I'm glad you appreciated it. No, I think it's wonderful memories and just wonderful. It just feels great to hear about the history and the culture of different people who, how they came to this from either uh, an academic perspective or a cultural perspective it's it's it it was great to hear yeah and it's almost like left turn right turn and i mean patrick could have been a major domo birder instead of a major domo mushroomer i I switched to mushrooms because it was a much bigger challenge Ah. i only um there was another guy in grad school or undergrad, whatever it was, he discovered a new tree species in the tropics. I thought that was pretty cool, but it was like, nobody's going to discover new bird species here in America. That's true. Interesting. That's true. And you can make a contribution. Well, we have a Christmas party next month. Goodness knows how that will be executed. But usually it's if you've taken some good pictures, no, taken pictures. I won't say good pictures, just pictures of mushrooms and you wish to share them with us, please um, let us know. We can either share screen and you can you know, do it that way or you can send me the images and I can put them into like a PowerPoint. But we will share and I hope I think we'll probably have the first Morel singing once more. That's a classic. And uh, look forward to, uh, actually, this year has been great. I mean, look at it this way. We may be still Zooming our meetings, but we are finally out in the woods share expressing our hobby. So good luck. Merry Christmas, not Merry Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving. And we'll see each other soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to everyone who shared their story. Good night. Thank you. Bye. Bye.